So, welcome again. A couple things before we get into the first message of this brand new, um, brand new series. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm the pastor here, Uncle Fester. Or I've also been called, um, what's his name? Dr. Evil. Yeah, been called that. And uh, somebody else, what'd you call me? Freddy Krueger. That was a new one. I hadn't uh, caught that one before, but... Uh, anyway, th- welcome to my Halloween costume and uh, pray for my family, my wife. Um, okay, so if you, uh, if you have infants or, or, or uh, young kids this morning, hopefully you figured out that we kind of moved some things around. And if you are being immersed later in the service, I, I think Amber was trying to tell everybody, but if you're a parent, you're going to be immersed later. You want your kids to be a part of that. Um, as we get ready to wrap up the message, would you just... Um, Go grab your kids and, and, and bring them out. Maybe somebody in your family or sitting next to you could help watch them uh, while you do that if you want them to, to, uh, to be a part of that. Um, and uh, uh, so Adam, where's Adam? Adam, there you are. Hey, uh, uh, note for next time, don't hit your chest uh, in the announcement <laughs> offering while we're taking our video. Yeah, that was pretty loud. Um, Okay, anyway, welcome again to to Real Life. We're kicking off a brand new series this morning called Fresh Faith. We're going to be looking at the Old Testament book of Malachi and seeing what that has to speak to our lives today. So if you're unfamiliar with the books of the Bible, I know probably a lot of you when I was a kid, uh, my parents forced us to memorize the books of the Bible. That sounds a little harsh. They didn't really force it. They just beat us if we didn't. That's not not true. My parents weren't that mean. Uh, What they did was bribe us at church. And so uh, we had contests to see what kid could get through all the books of the Bible fastest. That was not me. Um, But my friend Jason won that competition every year. And so whatever. I don't like him anyway. Malachi, though, is the last book in the Old Testament. And so um, you go to the Old Testament, it starts with Genesis. Old Testament ends with the book of Malachi. And then in the historical record, a timeline, chronology of the Bible, after the book of Malachi comes, there's 400 years where God doesn't say anything to the Israelite people. And then Matthew begins the story of Jesus, then his birth. Um, And and so you're just kind of following along in there. Old Testament, book of Malachi will be there. Uh, We're just going to be going through the book in this series over the next four weeks. And so maybe just put a bookmark in there. If you uh, have a mobile device that has the Bible app, um, you can even go there right now. Uh, Go to the app store, go to Google Play, download the Bible. You can follow along in Malachi. Uh, If you have a paper Bible, or you can follow along on the screen when we get there. The question this morning that we want to kick off with is this, how do you know that God loves you? How do we know that God loves us? I think in the world, kind of, and maybe that's even infiltrated some in churches, there are three primary ways today that I think people experience what they believe to be God's love. 
And so well, I'm, not, I'm not asking this question for those of you who like, you know, been to Bible school when you were a kid and you grew up and mom and dad made you come to church. Like if I say, how do you know God loves you? You're going to go, Jesus died for me and he rose from the dead. And all those. But most of us, like most people in the world, and certainly those people outside the walls of church, have a different idea of what it means for God to love them. And so I think there are three primary ways that people associate God's love, the things that are going on in their lives. And the first one I think would have to be prosperity, right? We believe, I think just generally the world believes that if we're prosperous in our lives, if we have money in the bank, if we got nice cars, we got a nice house, we got nice clothes, we got nice stuff, we got a good job and all of that's kind of rolling along. If we're prosperous or we feel prosperous in our lives, we assume that God must love us. God loves me because he's blessing me. Look at all this stuff he's given me. Look at all this money he's given me. Look at what I've accomplished in my life. We also, I think, associate God's love with peace in our lives. And I'm not talking about the peace that passes understanding that those of us who've been in faith a long time would, would get that. Like even in the midst of trouble, we can have peace. I'm talking about the peace that's just very superficial, that says, if there are no problems in my life, God must love me. But when problems come, I think Trevor kind of talked about this in a community talk, when problems come, then we're kind of like, oh no, God must be angry with me. God must hate me. God must not love me. And so um, I think that when we have those problems, we think God must be upset. But when everything just seems to kind of go smoothly, we feel at peace in our lives. And so we associate that with God's love. I think the final way is, um, and there's probably more than this. I don't know, but these are just three that off the top of my head. I think it's pleasure. If, if we have things in our life that are pleasurable, that make life kind of easy or stable, if we feel like I'm able to enjoy my life, and, and that probably has to do like, I've got a little money in the bank, I got some stuff to have fun, I got some nice toys, and, and so if my life is just pleasurable, then I go, God must love me. God loves me, and so um, he's blessed me, and life is just pleasurable. But when I look at the Bible and I read through the pages of the Bible about the stories of, of men and women who accomplished incredible things for God, I don't find prosperity and peace and pleasure in the lives of those people. In fact, most of the time when you look at the stories of people that God used to do incredible things, you find the exact opposite of those in their lives. Paul probably talks about this more than anybody. In 1 Corinthians, he, he talks about the list of things that have happened to him. He'd been shipwrecked three times. He'd been whipped multiple times. He was stoned with rocks until he was dead. I think that only happened once, maybe. But this guy had it pretty rough. Like, there was never a point in his life where he felt like, I've got enough money in the bank, and everything is going smoothly. And I've got the wave runner in the garage, and man, life is good. Like, God must love me. He was never in that position. Most of them experienced incredible problems. They were poor. They dealt with guilt and shame. They had physical challenges. And few experienced any real pleasure in their lives. Well, um, welcome to November and the month of Thanksgiving, right? Right? 
There are things probably if you're on social media, people have been posting things about the, you know, the I'm thankful every day of the month. You see those posts come along. Later this month, we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving. We're going to be with family and friends. And, and it's just kind of a natural time for us to be reminded of God's love for us. But my guess is in a room this size that for some of you, maybe for many of you, 2019 has been more a year of pain and trouble than of pleasure and and peace and prosperity. Things haven't worked out the way you thought. Maybe God hasn't showed up the way you expected. And, and, And maybe you're wondering, does God really love me? I think that was certainly the situation for the Israelites during the time of the prophet named Malachi. Now the story of of Malachi and his prophecies to the people of Israel can be found again in the last book of the Old Testament, but that's not where it takes place chronologically. Malachi actually takes place around the the early 5th and through the early 4th centuries before Christ. It was actually part of the time period where Ezra and Nehemiah come in the Bible. The Israelites have sinned against God. And if you know anything about Christianity, you know anything about uh, historically about the Jews, you know that they had a real problem of obeying and following God's laws, God's rules. And so they would kind of um, follow God for a little bit. They'd get comfortable in following God. And then all of a sudden, they would begin to sin. Like it would be little things at first, and then it would get bigger and bigger and more and more. And, and, and they would just kind of go way off the rails. And so God would have to do something to shake them up. And so he would bring another nation often to come and to enslave the Israelite people. It was part of his discipline for the people. Until they realized, man, we've been blowing this. And so what they do is they begin to cry out to God because of the punishment that they're under, the discipline that they're under. They cry out to God. He shows up. He delivers them in some great fashion. The book of Judges, he he brings men and women to come and they they do these great things and the nation is freed and the people begin to follow God again as in the beginning and everything goes well for a while and pretty soon they're back to sinning. Only after a while in the nation of Israel, they never really got to that place where they began to follow God again. And so they sinned, and then they sinned some more, and they sinned some more. And by the time the exile comes, a Babylon comes in and, and overthrows Israel, Israel is like way off the rails. They're um, set up idols in the temple of God, and they're, they're sacrificing to God, but they're also sacrificing these other idols in the temple compound. They've set up places of worship on all the hills uh, around Jerusalem. And they're doing some really awful things as a part of their worship of those other false gods. They even began to follow the god uh, of, uh, of the Amorites, I think it is, Molech. And part of the worship of Molech was the annual sacrifice of their children in the fire. So Israel had gone like way away from what God intended for them. And so God used the nation of Babylon to bring discipline for Israelites. And and they had prophesied, look, God's going to sell you to Babylon. They're going to come. They're going to overthrow you. They're going to take you to Babylon. But God is going to be faithful. You're going to cry out to him from that foreign nation. And he's going to bring you back to your hometown. That's when they come back from Babylon after 
King Cyrus uh, overthrows Nebuchadnezzar and, and his sons. He overthrows them. The Medes and the Persians take over the Babylonian Empire. Cyrus is now king, and he begins to send some of the Israelites back to Jerusalem. It starts with Ezra, and then Nehemiah. He sends Nehemiah back and sends more Jews back to Jerusalem. And they begin to rebuild the temple of God and rebuild the outer walls around the city. That's the time period that Malachi enters into the story of Israel. The people are back. The nation is in complete disrepair. Um, it's a terrible situation. There's not very many Jews who've come back. And so they're having a very difficult time rebuilding the temple. It's not anywhere near its former glory. And they're struggling with what's going on. They're trying at the same time to rebuild the outer wall and to protect Jerusalem from those nations around that would come uh, and uh, advance against them. And they're looking around at the other nations. They're going, look, the other nations look like God has blessed them. They're prospering. They're at, they're at peace. They have things in their life that bring them pleasure. But we're destitute. There's famine among us. There, there, there's disease going on here. There's not enough of us to do the work that needs to be done. And so they're devastated by what's going on. And Malachi begins to speak into that situation about what's going on with them as a nation, what God is doing and really to help them understand his love. And so through a series of questions and answers, Malachi helps the people see God more clearly in the midst of their catastrophe. So we're going to look at the first five verses of Malachi chapter 1 right now. Here's what it says, opens up the book. A prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. This is what God says, I have loved you. But you ask, how have you loved us? That's the people, right? The Israelites asking God, how have you loved us? Here's God's response. Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build but I will demolish. They may be called the wicked, they will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. You know, tragedy and unmet expectations often cause us to question God's intentions, his promises, and his love toward us. We'd ask questions like, does God still care? Is God still capable of accomplishing his promises? Why is God taking so long to do what he said he'll do? I think these are normal human reactions to extreme circumstances, things that we all face at one time or another in varying degrees. But these seasons of struggle aren't reasons to abandon faith. These seasons that we go through actually help us refine our understanding of God and His purposes for us. And although very difficult to go through these times, God uses them to rekindle our faith and trust in Him alone. Because the presence of pain in your life doesn't mean the absence of God from your life. 
And sometimes we get that confused and we think when there's pain and struggle and difficulty in my life, like where is God? God, why haven't you shown up? I thought you were going to make my life full of pleasure and, and full of peace and full of prosperity. And that's not what's going on. And we wonder where God is. But the presence of pain doesn't mean the absence of God. I don't normally do this, but, but I want to share a story of you, with you because I think it, it fits so well with what we're talking about today. Many of you probably are familiar with Corey Tenboom. She's been around for a very long time, in, in part because um, we know her from uh, the German concentration camps. So here's a story about Corey and her sister Betsy uh, that I found that I think just fits this perfectly. Corey and Betsy Tenboom were courageous Dutch Christians who helped harbor Jews from the Nazis in Holland during World War II. The sisters were eventually arrested for their kindness and they were imprisoned at Ravensbrück, a German concentration camp. In their barracks, they were shown to a series of, of massive square platforms stacked three levels high and placed so close together that people had to walk single file to pass between them. Rancid straw was scattered over the platforms, which served as communal beds for hundreds of women. Corey and Betsy got to their place and laid back on the rack, struggling against nausea that swept over them because of the reeking straw. Suddenly something bit Corey's leg, and she yelled, Fleas! Betsy, the place is swarming with them. They crawled off of their platform and down the narrow aisle to a small patch of light shining in their barracks. Betsy, how can we live in such a place? Corey asked. Show us. Show us how, Betsy said matter-of-factly. And it took Corey a moment to realize that her sister was praying. And then, and then Betsy exclaimed, Corey! He's given us the answer before we asked. He always does in the Bible this morning. Where was it? Read that part again. Corey quickly checked for guards and then she drew from a pouch a small Bible she had managed to smuggle into the concentration camp. They read from 1 Thessalonians. Here it is. Comfort the frightened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always, praying constantly. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Betsy interrupted. That's his answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this barracks. Her sister Corey stared at her and then looked around the dark, foul-smelling room and said, such as? Betsy said, such as being assigned here together. Corey bit her lip. Oh, yes, Lord Jesus. Betsy said, such as what you're holding in your hands. And Corey looked down at the Bible and she said, yes, thank you, dear Lord, that there was no inspection when we entered. Thank you for all the women here in this room who will meet you within the pages of this book. Yes, agreed Betsy. Thank you for the very crowding here. Since we're packed so close, that means many more will hear. She looked at her sister expectantly and, and prodded, Corey? Oh, all right, 
Thank you for the jammed, crammed, stuffed, packed, suffocating crowds. Thank you, Betsy continued on serenely, for the fleas and for... Corey cut in on her sister. Betsy, there's no way even God can make me grateful for a flea. Give thanks in all circumstances, Betsy corrected. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of this place where God has put us. And so they stood between the stacks of bunks and they gave thanks for fleas. Though on that night, Corey thought Betsy was surely wrong. Well, as the weeks passed, Betsy's health weakened to the point that rather than going out on work duty each day, she was permitted to remain in the barracks and knit socks together with other seriously ill prisoners. She was a lightning-fast knitter and and usually had her daily quota of of, uh, socks completed by noon. And as a result, Betsy had hours each day that she could spend moving from platform to platform in the barracks, reading to fellow prisoners. She was able to do this undetected as the guards never seemed to venture far into the barracks. One evening, Corey arrived back at the barrack and Betsy's eyes were twinkling You're looking extraordinarily pleased with yourself, Corey told her. You know, we've never understood why we had so much freedom in the big room, Betsy said, referring to the part of the barracks where the sleeping platforms were. Well, I've found out. This afternoon, there was confusion in my knitting group about the sock sizes, and so we asked the supervisor to come and settle it, but she wouldn't. She wouldn't step through the door, and neither would the guards. And do you know why? Betsy could not keep the triumph from her voice as she exclaimed, because of the fleas. That's what she said. The place is crawling with fleas. Corey's mind raced back to the first hour in the barracks. She remembered Betsy bowing her head and thanking God for creatures that Corey could see no use for. God used the fleas in the barracks of that concentration camp to keep the guards out so the gospel could be shared within. And many of those prisoners came to faith in Jesus in the midst of the most horrible circumstances imaginable. Death, disease, and despair could not stop God's love. The people of Israel, in the midst of their own despair, did what we all do. They looked at those people outside of their current circumstances and they began to compare. While Israel had been ravaged by the Babylonians, the nation of Edom remained fairly intact. While Israel struggled, Edom appeared to prosper. But the Jews were God's chosen people. And while they had disobeyed, they hadn't rejected God. The nations around Israel had rejected God completely. And though they appeared to be prosperous, they had no hope because they didn't know God. That's what God was trying to show His people. And I think that's what He wants us to see today as well. That wealth and prosperity are not always signs of God's blessing. And that difficulty is not always a sign of God's judgment. When we compare our situations with others... We forget that if they don't have a relationship with Jesus, then the blessings they have in this life are as good as it's ever going to be for them. While the blessings 
While the promise of blessing that we have is beyond compare. And the hope that we have of experiencing real life when this life is over can't be fathomed. See, I think you and I can get so focused on our hardships that we fail to see God's hand in our lives. We get so focused on what we don't have that we have difficult seeing what God has given us and we need to be reminded that God is present even when things aren't perfect. There's a story of one of the most frightening experiences that a man had ever had in his life. He was on a long flight back to the States from overseas when the plane began to experience turbulence. I don't know about you, if you've been on a plane, you've felt that turbulence. I've never been in it bad, but even a little bit turbulence is too much for me. They were on their way back in this um, large plane, and the captain put on the the seatbelt sign. He told everybody to get ready. They were planning to face some turbulence. A little bit later, when it was time for drinks to come out, The captain came over the radio and he says, we're not going to serve drinks because the turbulence is going to be bad. And they began to have a little bit of bump, but it wasn't too bad. It began to get a little bit worse. Pretty soon the captain came on and said, we're not going to serve a meal because the turbulence is going to be bad. And pretty soon it was. As they flew across the ocean, the the jets, the currents of of air would would make the jet just just take off like a rocket into the sky. And and then it would just drop like it was going to crash right into the waters. It bounced back and, and forth and everybody in the cabin was scared for their life. As the man sat there and he looked around to to see that everybody else was just as scared as he was, he noticed a young girl that was sitting not far from him whose legs were crossed up on the seat and she had a book on her lap and she was reading as though nothing was going on. The plane continued to bob and weave and bounce up and down and, and the girl's demeanor didn't change. Sometimes she put her legs down over the seat. Sometimes she pulled them up. She shifted a little bit in her seat. But she was never scared. She never looked like she was uneasy. She just kept reading her book. Never a moment of panic on her face. All the adults around her were scared to death. She was composed and unafraid. Once the plane was safely on the ground, the man decided he was going to find out what was up with that little girl. And so he waited for a while until the plane kind of cleared off, until he had a path to get to her. And he finally walked by her. And in that moment, he asked her through the terrible storm why she had not been afraid. This was her reply. My dad is the pilot and he's taking me home. It's important to remember, whether in good times or bad, God's incredible love. That that God is in charge, that he's making a way for us, no matter what our circumstances and and situation might be. I, I found this week affirmation from Judd Wilhite. He's the pastor at Central church in downtown Las Vegas, Nevada. Great guy. Here's what he wrote in a blog post one day. 
Every day we need to wake up, look in the mirror and say this. I am a well-loved child of an all-powerful God who has my best interest at heart. No problem is too big for him. No situation too helpless for him. And not even my mistakes can stop his amazing grace from flooding my life. He has already given me good things to enjoy and I am going to find them and give thanks. You can find that affirmation in the My Message Notes section on the website. You can follow along there. And, and I just want to encourage you, take a picture of this slide. Go to My Message Notes. Find a way to, to, to remember this, to put it in a place where you see it every day, and to make this affirmation this week for yourself. To read it out loud. And it will help you recognize the, way, recognize the ways that God shows His love for you. Because I believe that you will experience fresh faith when you begin to see God's love in your everyday life. And when you see that love, respond to it. That's exactly what those who are being baptized today are going to do. You see, understanding God's love compels us to love Him back. We love because God first loved us. Listen to what is written in 1 John 4. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And this is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. God lives in us, and His love is made complete in us. And Jesus said in John chapter 14, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them, and we will make our home with them. This morning, I'm so excited to have some folks who have recognized the love that God has for them in their own lives, and they're responding to that love in obedience by going public with their faith in water baptism. And so the band is going to play a song while we get ready for those baptisms to welcome both those who are new to faith and those who are rededicating themselves to seek and serve God. And I want you to know this morning that we've got room for you. Even if you didn't come prepared today to be baptized, we've got the means to get you wet. So, we got t-shirts in the back and other things. Uh, we got towels back there. If you're today, you recognize, you feel the love of God, maybe He's drawn on your heart. You got a few minutes, you can run back there. You can get a shirt, you can get ready, and we'll get you in on the list. For those of you who are ready to do that, it's time to make your way over to the east side.